Presidential Leap by Susie Boyd. Sam's body tingled as he found himself leaping through time again. But as the leaping effect subsided, he became aware of the strong scent of lavender and freshly cut grass. The sound of birdsong filled his ears and the warmth of the sun touched his skin. There was a sense of peace and tranquility, which Sam had long missed from previous leaps. Dr. Beckett opened his eyes to find himself seated in a garden. A garden that was a mass of colour with every kind of flower you could think of. Bees buzzed happily from rose to rose and butterflies flew peacefully by. Sam felt totally at ease. Suddenly, the peace was shattered by a man shouting from behind, Mr. Jenkins, what do you think you're doing out here? Sam turned to see a well-built man in his 30s striding towards him. He wore a blue shirt and jeans which were practically hidden by the long white coat he was wearing over the top. A large mansion house towered behind him, which sent shivers down the back of Sam's spine. Mr. Jenkins, you know damn well you're not allowed out here. This kind of defiance will mean no supper for you tonight. The muscular man looked down at Sam. Now he was closer, he could see he had a name tag. It read Donovan Matthews, head nurse of Green Acre Retirement Home. Sam, for the first time, looked down at himself. He had on an old faded shirt, a cardigan that had holes in the arms, and a pair of brown trousers that were a size too big. Hanging off the arm of the seat was a battered wooden stick with a white label attached to the base of the handle. It had on it the name Bob Jenkins. The piece that had filled Sam Beckett disintegrated as he realised the situation. Oh, boy. Sam looked up at the nurse, who was beginning to lose his patience. Well, don't just sit there. Let's move it. Sam got up slowly from his seat and turned to face the house. The nurse grabbed hold of his arm and started marching him towards the door. Sam only just managed to collect his stick in time. The smell was the first thing the scientist noticed as he walked through the door of the home. The air was stale and reeked of cigar smoke. The smell he was glad he didn't have to enjoy each time Al was around, but deep down had secretly missed. Their footsteps echoed as they walked down the wooden-floored corridor, which seemed to stretch on for a mile. Ahead of him, he could hear the sound of cutlery clinking together, a sign that told him it must be lunchtime. As they neared the end of the corridor, the smell changed. The air no longer stung the back of his nose, but instead the sweet smell of roast beef filled his nostrils. Nurse Matthews took a sudden left, and Sam found himself in the dining room. The square room must have had at least 50 people who were now tucking into the meal on their plates. Not one of the elderly people in front of him said a word to the persons next to them. It was a quiet Sam felt uncomfortable with. Matthews led Sam to an empty seat at a table of about 10 other people and sat him down. He then moved to the hatchway which linked the dining room with the kitchen, mumbled something to one of the cooks before collecting a plate of beef and putting it on the table in front of Sam. There you go, Mr. Jenkins. Think yourself lucky you're eating lunch. But defy me again, I won't be so nice. With that, Matthew strode off, leaving Sam in the company of the aging diners. Sam knew that he was here to help put things right, but he wouldn't know exactly what needed doing until Al showed up. The smell of the beef in front of him was making him hungry. So, until his friend arrived, he would make the most of what was on his plate. Dessert consisted of an apple pie and ice cream, which to Sam tasted great on this warm summer's day. But looking at the other residents, it looked as if they hadn't seen the sun in years. They were all pale and withdrawn. As Sam was about to put his third spoonful of pie into his mouth, he felt the hand of a man sitting to his right touch his. The man turned to Sam and said in a low voice, What did you do this time to make Matthew so angry? Sam paused, 
as at the same moment he heard the familiar sound of the imaging chamber door opening behind him, signalling the arrival of his friend. Hi, Sam. Sorry it took me so long. I've been talking to your counterpart in the waiting room. He thinks he's died and gone to heaven. Al paused and took in the surroundings. By the look of this place, I can understand why. Sam agreed that after his experience with Matthews, and from what this old-timer was saying, it wasn't the first time that he, Bob, had been in trouble with him. What happened? The old man prodded, waiting for Sam to reply. I was only sitting in the garden out front. I wanted some fresh air. You're a mighty brave, the old man said, still in a hushed voice. You're lucky you weren't caught by Jacobs. He's ten times worse than Matthews. He would surely have had you locked up for breaking that rule. Geez, Sam. Al chimed in. What is this place? Some kind of prison? I'm not sure, Sam answered, without thinking of who else was listening. Not sure, the old man said. Are you forgetting the time when Jacobs caught me just looking out there? I was banned from the recreation room for two days. I hate to think what would have happened if I'd actually been found out there. The man fell silent and finished his pie, leaving Sam and Al in a state of shock. Finally, Al turned to Sam. I was right, he said. It's a prison for old folk. Sam finished up his dessert while Al got Ziggy to locate Bob's room so that he and Sam could talk in private. I found it, Sam, Al said as he consulted the handlink. Bob's room is just down the corridor from here. Sam managed to leave the room without drawing too much attention to himself, but got stopped as Matthews suddenly appeared from nowhere. And where do you think you're going? We're not trying to run away again, are we? Again, Sam thought, but who could blame him? I'm just going back to my room for a bit, if that's okay with you. Why, sure, Mr. Jenkins. Just make sure you don't make any accidental detours on the way. Sam felt a need to punch Matthews in the jaw, but he resisted the temptation. Besides, Matthews was twice the size of Bob. So Sam started for his room. When he got there, Al was waiting. He closed the door behind him and locked it. What a nozzle. Just who does that guy think he is picking on a helpless man three times his age? I'll tell you, Sam, a man like that needs teaching a lesson. If I wasn't a hologram, I'd teach him a thing or two. Sam stood with his back against the door and surveyed the room. It was small, with a bed under the window and a three-drawer unit as the only furniture. Seeing a mirror on the wall, Sam went to see what he looked like. The face looking back at him was old and wrinkled. His grey hair was thinning on top, and the stubble on his chin was two days old. What's going on, Al? The Admiral turned to the handlink. Well, it's August 12th, 1956. Your name is Robert Jenkins, and you're here in Greenacre Retirement Home. You've been here since your daughter Rachel brought you here, just after your 78th birthday. That was two years ago. Sam strode across the room and exploded, finally able to let his emotions go free. How can anyone treat an 80-year-old the way that Matthews does, Al? It's insane. He was probably never told that you should respect your elders. He was maybe out lifting weights when that lesson was taught. Just don't let him get to you. Sam sat down on the bed and looked out the window. There wasn't much to see, just a large oak tree that obscured the view of whatever else was out there. So Sam turned back to Al. What have I got to do, Al? The handlink buzzed as the data came through. According to Ziggy, there is an 84.2% chance you're here to prevent a murder. Sam's eyes widened as he leaned forward on the bed. Whose? Yours. I mean, Bob Jenkins, Al replied. Three days from now, his body is found here, in this room, beaten to death. A sudden chill went right down the scientist's back as the truth of why he had leapt here was revealed. Al continued. In the original history, the whole thing was covered up by the owners of the home. Anyone who asked got told he died in his sleep. 
No questions were asked, so the whole thing just got swept under the carpet. Sam got up and walked back over to the mirror. He stared at the reflection of Bob, as if trying to embed his image in his memory. What's the betting Matthews had something to do with it? Sam asked, knowing what the answer would be. Ziggy gives that a three-to-one possibility, but I'd say he's picking his club out right now. Sam threw his shoulders back and put his emotions aside. He had to save Bob. He turned to face his friend and gave him his orders. Okay, Al, get Ziggy to get as much information as you can on Donovan Matthews, and I want you to try and find Rachel as well. She might just be able to help me out of this situation. Al tapped away at the hand link, logging in the tasks at hand. When he'd completed that, he put in the code that would open the door to the project. The door slid open and Al stepped into it. All right, Sam, just take it easy. Don't do anything stupid. I'll be back as soon as I can. With that, the door closed and Sam was left alone in his room. With Al gone, there was no point in hanging around his room any longer. So Sam decided to take a look around the prison he was in. He unlocked the door and walked back out into the dark corridor. There was no one around which quietly pleased him and, at least, there was no sign of the nurse from hell. As he closed the door behind him, the latch shutting up sent an echo all around him, which was shortly followed by a deathly silence. He headed back in the direction he came in. He passed no one on his journey, just the row of doors that opened to the residents' rooms. They lined the walls like prison cells. Turning the next corner, his eyes wandered to an open door on his left. He could see some people he recognized from lunch, sitting at tables, doing puzzles and playing board games. On the door, there was a plaque that read Recreation Room. The room the old boy next to me at lunch told me about, thought Sam. He walked into the room, which was well lit by lamps on the walls and tables. It gave the room a warm feeling, which Sam had yet experienced since he arrived at this place. But the lamps weren't really needed. If it weren't for the curtains being drawn against the large windows that stood behind them, the room would be filled with the bright afternoon sun. Instead, they were pulled tight together, blocking the view of the beautiful garden that lay peaceful and quiet outside. No one had noticed Sam enter the room. They were all too deeply involved with whatever they were doing. Sam walked towards the drawn curtains when he noticed the man he had sat next to at lunch. The frail, withered old man was sat in a large armchair with a book on his lap. Upon walking towards him, Sam could see the book contained pictures of vintage cars, dating back as far as the 1900s. The chair stood empty next to him, so Sam took a seat. That's my car, that is, the old boy said, pointing to the page in front of him. I used to drive me and the missus in one of those down to the country each year. I'll never forget the long rides, the open roads with the top down. That Wolseley must have been the most reliable car I ever had. Oh, those were the good old days, all right. My lady beside me and not a care in the world. The car was certainly a head-turner. It had a shiny black body with a large silver grill. Headlights positioned at either side. Sweeping wings that covered the wheels and the seats all finished in leather. It was the best of its kind in its day. The book was closed, but on the front cover, Sam could make out an inscription that read, To my darling Jim, all my love, forever, Janie. A distant look appeared on the old man's face. Sometimes I just want to get out. Just end it all here right now. I don't even think anyone would miss me. Don't say that. Sam couldn't believe what he was hearing. Your family loves you. They would miss you. My family? Jim sounded hurt. I haven't seen them in three years since my wife died and they brought me to this dump. Well, what about your friends? I haven't any. You have me? Jim slowly turned around to look at Sam. He smiled weakly and patted Sam on the arm. He rose from his seat, picked up his book and headed for the door. He turned. You always did have that knack of bringing a smile to my face, Bob. And with that, he left. 
Sam didn't have much time to think about what had happened, as at that moment Matthews appeared in the doorway. His eyes scanned the room like a lion hunting his prey. Sam moved his attention away from him, hoping he wouldn't be noticed. But it was too late. Matthews had spotted him. He sauntered in with an evil grin across his face that sent a chill right through Sam. He started to tremble inside as he waited for Matthews to reach him. Why, he couldn't understand. He didn't feel afraid of Matthews, but it was one of the traits of leaping. A residual of Bob had been left behind, and Bob was afraid. So here you are, Mr. Jenkins. I thought you'd done a runner. Sam looked up and gazed into his face. As he looked, the grin got wider. What do you want, Matthews? Sam asked, his throat beginning to tighten. I don't want anything. The nurse bent over and whispered into Sam's ear. Mr. Jacobs wants to see you in his office. Something to do with that stunt you pulled this morning. There was a gleam in the nurse's eye as he stood back up again. He gestured with his hand for Sam to get up and accompany him out the door. Sam was reluctant to move, but seeing he had no other choice, he got up from his seat. Matthews caught hold of his arm and led him, like a dog, out of the room. Mr. Jacobs' room was only small, with a desk by the window and a cabinet on the far wall. The curtains were pulled against the window, just as they had been in the recreation room, so it was dark inside. A small lamp on the desk was the only light to be seen. Take a seat, Mr. Jenkins. A voice from behind the desk startled Sam, as the man couldn't be seen at first glance. He was hidden in the darkest corner of the room. It wasn't until he sat forward that Sam could see who had spoken to him. Mr. Jacobs, the man behind the voice, had a round face and a balding head, probably in his late forties. He seemed friendly enough. Sam took a seat in front of the desk and waited. Well, Mr. Jenkins, I guess you're wondering why I called you here. Sam said nothing. He waited for the man to continue. Nurse Matthews tells me he found you sitting outside in the garden this morning? Is this true? Yes, sir, that is true, said Sam calmly. Why, for heaven's sake, were you out there? You know the rules, Mr. Jenkins. No residents are allowed in the garden at any time. Jacob's voice had risen, and his friendly face wasn't looking so friendly anymore. Sam was in a difficult position, so he thought carefully before saying anything. Well, it was such a lovely day, and I was fed up from being cooped up inside, that I thought nobody would probably mind if I enjoyed the fresh air for a bit. Maybe I just wasn't thinking straight. I'd say you weren't thinking straight, Mr. Jacobs bellowed. This was probably another one of your stunts, just to try and rub us up the wrong way. Why, only this week, you've refused nighttime medication, argued with the nurses, been stopped from going upstairs, and now this. It's got to stop. Sam had a sick feeling in the pit of his stomach. How was he supposed to protect Bob when Bob had made such a nuisance of himself? He couldn't turn back the clock and change the events of the past week. Leaping never worked that way. He had to face the predicament he was in and try to change things for the better. It wasn't going to be easy. At this minute in time, all Sam could think of was to apologize for what happened. Nothing else came to mind. I'm sorry, sir. I really am. But you see... Oh, I've heard it all before, Mr. Jenkins, Jacob cut in, silencing Sam before he could finish. I've had enough of you talking your way out of things. Well, it's not going to happen this time. Jacobs got to his feet and walked around the desk. Putting his hands on the arms of Sam's chair, Jacobs looked straight into Sam's face, his eyes glaring. There will be no supper and early nights for you until you learn to follow the rules and control yourself while you're living under this roof. Do you understand me? Sam's hands were clenched tightly as he fought back the words he wanted to say. He nodded in response, his lips pressed firmly together. Very well then. Jacobs eased off and went back to resume his seat. Quietness filled the room, leaving Sam feeling a little uneasy. The quiet was soon interrupted, though, by a knock at the door. 
Matthews had returned. He came in and stood next to Sam. He could feel his eyes burning the back of his neck. Ah, Matthews, the very man. The anger had gone from Jacob's voice. Our conversation is finished here now. Escort Mr. Jenkins back to his room. Matthews grabbed hold of Sam's arm, practically lifting him out of the chair. He was walked to the door where they stopped suddenly. Jacobs had appeared behind Matthews. And make sure he doesn't leave, Jacobs whispered into the nurse's ear, so quiet that it was inaudible to Sam. Matthews grinned and took Sam out of the room. Jacobs watched them until they disappeared down the corridor. Then he silently closed the door behind him, vanishing into the darkness of the office. Matthews strode down the corridor back to Bob Jenkins's room, with Sam in tow. They reached Bob's room, and Matthews loosened the grip he had on Sam's arm. He opened the door and put his arm out to show Sam the way in. Here we are, Mr. Jenkins. Home sweet home. As Sam peered inside, he heard the familiar sound of the imaging chamber door opening from within the room, and Al's face appeared from around the door. Unprepared for his friend's sudden arrival, Sam paused from entering the room. Unfortunately, Matthews took this as another means of defiance, and so he grabbed Sam by the arm again and pulled him inside, throwing Sam onto the bed. The springs in the mattress twanged in protest underneath him, and Matthews just stood and glared down at him. You need to learn to do as you're told, Mr. Jenkins, if you know what's good for you. He turned, and Sam watched him walk out of the room and shut the door behind him. Shortly after, there came the sound of a key turning in the lock, and Sam realized he was now a prisoner in his own room. Taking a deep sigh, Sam dragged his hands down his face and looked up at his friend. This leap was turning into a nightmare. He had to get out of here as soon as possible. Al pulled his cigar out of his jacket pocket and began chewing the end of it. Well, I guess as you're here, you must have something new for me, Sam said, hoping Al was bringing him some news that would help. Zeddy's been doing some digging, the hologram said, tapping around his cigar. He pulled the handlink out of his pocket and began tapping away at the coloured buttons. There were a few bleeps and squawks as Al coaxed the data out of it. Taking the cigar out of his mouth, he began to give Sam the information Ziggy provided. Apparently, Greenacre Retirement Home used to be one of the best homes around for the over-70s. That was until Brendan Jacobs bought the place up in 52. All the original carers were forced to leave when Jacobs brought in his own people. And I guess Nurse Matthews came with him, Sam queried. Ha! Some nurse, Al remarked. Donovan Matthews was a professional wrestler until a back injury shortened his career. Jacobs was his sponsor. When Matthews stopped bringing in the money, he talked him into helping him run the home, made him head nurse. Sam couldn't believe his ears. The whole situation was beginning to look even crazier than it already was. He got up from his seat on the bed and started pacing the room. I can't believe anyone would sell a home for the retired to a wrestler and a bogus businessman. Didn't anyone check any ID before selling? Al turned back to the handling for the answer but didn't get a positive response. Ziggy's still checking it out, but it seems there are a few forged documents involved. Sam turned away from Al and strode in the direction of the door, deep in thought. With an idea that came to mind, he suddenly stopped in his tracks and turned to face Al once again. Did you get anything on Bob's daughter, Rachel? Al shook his head as he read the printout on the handlink. Sorry, Sam. Rachel and her husband moved up north when her husband's job changed. They wouldn't be much help. Looks like I'm on my own then, Sam mumbled to himself. He walked over to the drawer unit and leaned against it, letting out a deep sigh. The concern on Al's face returned as he watched his friend rub his eyes and then drop his shoulders in a slump. It had all been too much to take in. Why don't you get some rest? Al told him. I can come back later and finish this off. You look as though you can do with some shut eye. Sam raised his head and looked at the hologram of his friend. The thought of resting his head on a soft pillow followed by a few hours sleep would have come as a welcome break right now, but something inside prevented him from doing that. 
There was another problem we had to solve. Bob wasn't the only one in trouble. Sam's thoughts went back to the conversation he'd had with Jim in the recreation room earlier. He hadn't known Jim long, added to those few minutes he shared at lunch. It must have been at most half an hour. But it was enough time for Sam to learn that Jim was a man in need. Looking Al straight in the face, he said, What's Ziggy got on a man named Jim? Jim? Al looked puzzled. Who's this, another worker or something? He's one of the residents. He sat next to me at lunch today. You remember? Uh Uh-huh. Al nodded as he remembered that man's tale of being banned from a room just because he was caught looking outside. It was truly insane to his mind. So what's so special about this gym that you need Ziggy's help? I've just got this feeling he might do something stupid, Sam told him. I was talking to him earlier, and he seemed quite low. I think he's partly the reason why I'm here. Al knew this would happen. In practically every leap, Sam would find someone else to help, as well as the person he was put there for. It was the Boy Scout in him. Sam, you're not here to change the lives of everybody you come into contact with. You're here to prevent Bob from being killed. I know, but will you just do this for me? It was no good trying to argue with him when Sam put on his sad puppy dog look. So he began randomly pressing buttons on the handlink, punching up any information he could. Okay, there were two gyms living in the home in 1956. One's 74, and the other's 82. Any ideas which one it is? Sam thought for a moment. He couldn't be exactly sure. But from Jim's appearance, he'd say he was in his 80s. So taking a stab at it, he said, 82. Al began to read out the data that came through. Jim Taylor, aged 82, being a widower for four years. Now Sam knew he'd chosen the right one. He remembered Jim's sad story that told how his wife Janie had died a few years before. So he let Al continue. He's been a resident here for three years. And in that time, Al paused as he read the information that was coming through from Ziggy. Now this is interesting, Sam. It seems he suffered a lot of falls, including many cuts and bruises to his body. And he's also had a few broken bones since he's been here. Ziggy says this Bob you've leapt into has suffered the same kind of thing. That's too much of a coincidence, Sam told the hologram. Two people can't be that accident prone at once. It's gotta be those nurses, Al. Jim told me he's been abused. They must be beating the hell out of him. And you, Sam. Al put in. Don't forget how Bob was killed. He was beaten to death. Sam moved from his spot by the chest of drawers to stand in front of the mirror. He looked at the sad, sorrowful face of Bob. It was like looking through a window to find a man stood on the other side just staring back. But this man behind the window was a part of Sam. They were joined together by time, fate, or whatever that was leaping Sam around. There were two people standing as one. Looking deeply into the aged face, Sam couldn't help wondering how anyone could even contemplate hurting a man like Bob. He had the most friendly of faces. It was the sort you could warm to in an instant. Not turning away from the reflection in the mirror, Sam asked the question he had resting on his mind. What happens to Jim? Al placed the cigar in his mouth to leave his hands free to work the handling. The answer, for some reason, was reluctant to appear. A few good slaps from the Admiral's hand seemed to do the job, though, as the data soon started to pour through. Al, now knowing the answer, removed the cigar from his lips. He turned to face Sam, his head hung. Studying Al's body language, Sam waited for the bad news. Ziggy says Jim dies tonight. Sam went rigid for a second as shock took hold in his body. Tonight, he cried. But how? According to the doctor's report, it was due to an overdose of sleeping pills. His death was reported as a suicide. I don't believe it. Why not? Al asked. You said yourself you thought he might try something like this. I know I did, Al. But this just isn't right. From what you've been telling me, I think it could have been murder. When does Ziggy say he dies? In two hours. Two hours? Two hours? I've got to get out of here, Al. Sam quickly turned back to the door and tried fiercely pulling at the doorknob, hoping to budge it off its lock. But it didn't move. 
That won't, that won't work, Sam. You need to jimmy it. Try using a credit card. Sam fumbled around in his pockets and found Bob's worn wallet. Thankfully, there was an old bank card inside. So Sam took it and planted it into the small gap between the door and the door frame. Go be with Jim, Al, Sam said as he desperately tried to release the lock. I need to know he's okay. Gushy, send me on Jim Taylor. There was a swooshing noise and Al disappeared from the room. He reappeared in another similar dark room to the one he had just been standing in. But to his horror, he could see Jim being thumped and smacked by Jacobs. He was laying into him and Jim was crying out in pain. I'll teach you for not following the rules. You'll never do this or anything else again. He grabbed Jim and threw him onto the bed and began to tie him down. You lousy nozzle, leave him alone, Al bellowed. The handlink squawked and Al read the bad news that Ziggy was now supplying. She sent me on Sam now. Al reappeared in the bedroom just as Sam managed to unlock the door. Sam, Jacobs has got Jim in his room. You've got to hurry, Sam. Ziggy says this is it. Which way, Al? Go out of here and turn right. Jim's room is down the bottom of the corner. Sam hurriedly ran outside before Al had completely finished what he was saying. Shouting after him, Al called, I'll meet you down there. Sam raced down the corridor as fast as he could, an endless passage that seemed to go on for an eternity. Nearing the end, he could see Al waiting for him, puffing on his usual cigar, but he looked too uptight. Hurry, Sam, he's in there. Finally reaching the door Al stood by, Sam burst through to find Jim strapped to his bed and Jacobs mixing a concoction in a glass. Jacobs looked up in surprise, not expecting to see that kind of interruption. At least, Bob was the last person he expected to see. What's the matter, Mr. Jenkins? Jacobs asked and paused. Shouldn't you be in your room? He continued to stir the white, cloudy liquid in the glass, whilst eyeing Sam up and down. I won't let you do this to Jim. Careful, Sam, Al said quietly as he kept a watchful eye on the situation. Things could turn very nasty very quickly and very easily at any moment. And just what exactly do you think it is I'm doing? Jacobs queried. I know what you're planning to do, Sam said. I also know who you really are, and I plan to expose you. All of you. I see. Jacob set down the glass on the bedside table and turned his full attention to Sam. Well, that won't do, he said. Jim will have to wait his turn. Jacobs pushed Sam backwards in the chest. Sam fell hard into the wardrobe that wobbled under the pressure. He slumped to the door to receive a knock to the head as a box got dislodged from its home above him and fell catching Sam on the way down. Sam lay there a little dazed. Ha, huh, too easy. Jacobs mumbled and went back to take care of his first priority. Sam, get up, Al urged. Come on, Sam, we're running out of time. Sam slowly got back to his feet, swaying slightly. That's it, you can do it. Jacobs had hold of the glass again and was trying to make Jim drink down the, and was trying to make Jim drink down the mixture. But Jim was showing resistance. You will drink, Mr. Taylor, if you know what's good for you. But Jim wasn't going to give in without a struggle. You can't win, Jacobs, Sam said. Jacobs spun on the spot, surprised to see Bob back on his feet again so soon. You've been at this game too long, Sam said coolly. We know your weaknesses. We know how you deal with different situations. So we found the means to retaliate. There's a lot of useful information, Mr. Jacobs. Information I'm sure the police would be happy to hear. Sam's words had little effect on the man that stood before him. He had hold of the glass still in his right hand and an evil smile spread across his face. I'm sorry to have to burst your bubble, Mr. Jenkins, but I'm afraid neither of you will be around long enough to tell anybody anything. Moving quickly, Jacobs propelled himself forward and lunged at Sam. He still had hold of the glass and this time tried forcing the liquid down the scientist's throat, but his plan was doomed to fail. Sam was ready for any of his tricks. 
and caught the side of the glass with his hand, knocking it to the floor where the contents spilled out, staining the wooden floorboards. Seizing Jacob's outstretched hand, Sam flipped the man over, landing him heavily and finished the job off with a kick to the stomach. Jacob's lay there for the count. Good flippin' kick, Sam, Al said, having observed the scene before him. Sam looked up at his holographic friend with a question on his lips, but Al was well ahead of him. Ziggy says there's no need to worry. He'll be out for several hours. Sam turned back his attention to Jim and began untying the leather straps that held him down. Where did you learn to do that? Asked a bewildered Jim Taylor. Oh, um, Sam faltered as he tried to find a reason for his behavior. I, um, took lessons when I was younger. Sam, isn't it time we finished up what we were here to do? Al said, tapping the sides of the hand link. Yeah, you're right. Sam looked at Jim and his confused expression. I've got to go, but I'll be right back. Where are you going? Sam looked at Jim, turned to face Al, and then looked back at Jim again. To get us some freedom. Sam ran up the stairs in the hall to the first floor. With the directions Al had given him, he'd found the evidence that he needed. The illegal documents that signed the property over to Mr. F.M. Jacobs and partner. Bingo, Sam said in triumph, having got the papers in hand. Now all that's left is to call the police. Well, you did it, Sam, Al said as he consulted the hand link. Jacobs and Matthews get found guilty of fraud and inhumane conduct and get sentenced to 30 years in prison. The government takes care of the home and registered nurses are brought in to help run the place. And Bob? Sam asked. Bob Jenkins continues his life here until he dies of natural causes at the age of 96. What about Jim? Al pressed the buttons on the handling which buzzed and flashed at him until Ziggy came through with the data. Oh, you'll like this, Sam. Word of the events that took place here get the attention of Jim's family. In a few days, they come back for him, and he goes to live with his son and daughter-in-law in the country. That's great! Sam paused and lowered his eyebrows. So, why haven't I leaped? Al looked at the hand link, but the colourful, flashing box was blank. I don't know. As they stood there, looking at each other, there came a voice from below. Bob? Bob, where are you? Maybe that's why, Al said. Sam looked at Al and then left the room, and made his way back down the stairs. At the bottom, he saw Jim looking at him. What have you been doing? He asked a little alarmed. What if you were caught? Don't worry, Sam reassured him. We don't have to worry about any of that ever again. Jim looked confused. What do you mean? I found what we needed to free ourselves from these people. They can't hurt us anymore. Jim was bewildered, but the smile on Sam's face filled him with a warm glow and a sense of freedom. For one crazy moment, he could see a light at the end of the dark tunnel. Thank you, Bob he said, stretching out his arms as he held Sam in a long embrace. And Sam, feeling close to the old-timer, hugged him back. Any time, my friend. And with those last words, Sam felt the tingle inside his body as the leap effect took over, sending him on to his next destination. The only destination he hoped for? Home. Thank you for that story, Susie. That was fantastic. You've now got a prize heading your way and you're in the draw to win the major prize of a signed copy of Four Knowledge by Christopher DeFilippis. I'm really looking forward to reading what other stuff you might have in store for Sam. Calling all writers. Do you have an original Quantum Leap story that you want to share with fellow leapers? Well, now's your chance. Announcing the Quantum Leap Podcast's short fiction contest. I don't control my future. You do. You heard it from Sam himself. Help Dr. Beckett leap from life to life, trying to put right what once went wrong. We're looking for your original Quantum Leap adventures about Sam, Al, Ziggy, Gushy, Donna, Beth, Leapers, Leapies, anyone or anything, as long as it's set in the established Quantum Leap universe. 
Here are some ground rules. We're looking for original stories that haven't appeared anywhere in print or online. Keep it to 5,000 words or less. We're not looking for your unpublished novel here. Email submissions to quantumleappodcast at gmail.com. And you can go to the Quantum Leap Podcast website for more details. The first eight participants will get a small prize. And the top three entries, as judged by the Quantum Leap Podcast team, will receive an autographed copy of my Quantum Leap novel, Foreknowledge. Winning stories will be read on the podcast. So what are you waiting for? Hop into the accelerator chamber and make the leap. Enter the Quantum Leap Podcast Short Fiction Contest now.